Hope you are having a good Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we're just so glad you've taken time on this uh, special weekend when we think about uh, the price of freedom, uh, that you've taken time to be here with us at North Point, and we welcome you. We've been looking over these last few weeks at something called gospel life, at uh, the, the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, and um, today I want to talk to you about how the, how the gospel bridges us toward other people. We've, we've said already uh, in the last couple of weeks that the gospel, first of all, brings us in. It helps us to know that, that God has accepted us and he's forgiven us and he's set us up in an eternal relationship with him, that we feel valued by the God of the universe. And then last week we looked at the gospel builds you up that it actually from within begins to unlock your potential to grow into the person that God has had in mind that you could be in your life. I want to talk to you specifically today, though, about how the gospel begins to bridge you toward other people and change the way in which you can relate to others. And I, I just have to testify to this in my own life. You know, um, in 1970, when I was in high school and I, I gave myself over to Jesus Christ, the way I like to put it is that the kingdom of God finally overtook the kingdom of Steve. And uh, honestly, the kingdom of Steve was, uh, was all about my life revolved around the holy trinity of me, myself, and I. And if it didn't have a, a direct relationship to some way that I was personally going to benefit, I wasn't very interested. But Jesus Christ captured my life, took me as a, a shy introverted kid and he began to turn my heart outward to other people. One of the first places that I noticed a difference was in my relationships at home and, uh, and connecting uh, with my own mom that I had, a, I had a whole bunch of conflict with and, and then to begin to sincerely care about the lives of other people. So I've experienced this personally and I want to talk to you today about how the gospel has the power to do that in our lives. Now, if you've pulled out your message notes for the day, you'll notice this passage of scripture in the book of Galatians that's, uh, that's right at the top. And uh, we've seen this verse a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. I want to come back to it again because, man, it's got some amazing things that it says. Notice it, Galatians 3, 27 and 28. You were baptized into union with Christ. Now, I just want to stop there. Baptism, of course is the way in which we declare that I'm willing to be all in for Jesus Christ. In fact, today is a baptism Sunday, and uh, if you have become a follower of Christ and you've not declared your faith in him in baptism, we'd love to, uh, what, what a great day to do that on a Memorial Day, to remember what Christ has done for us and to declare that we're all in. But when we, when we get baptized, what we're saying is, I'm putting my life into Jesus Christ. And so then he says, and now you're clothed, so to speak, with the life of Christ himself. He uses a, a great image here of putting on clothes, and he says, it's like you've put on Christ, and you're living in him. And so there's no difference, he says, between Jews and Gentiles. Now, we can't really relate to that, but in the time of the New Testament, Jew and Gentile was... Uh, you know, that was, a huge, that was a huge separation, especially for Jews to look at those who were non-Jews. This, this had a strong religious and racial aspect. And he says, but, 
But because you're in Christ, you're no longer, you don't look at each other as Jew or Gentile or slave and free. This was an economic and societal reality in the time of the New Testament. It's estimated as many as six out of 10 people that would have walked the the, uh, streets of Rome in the time of the New Testament were slaves. And so he says that Christ has brought you into something new and and so there's no longer this division of slave and free or between men and women, even uh, with gender and relational and, and social. But he says, notice, you are all one in union with Christ Jesus. And my goodness, if there's a, a need for us to hear a message today in our, in our day, our day that is so divided, it's this one right here. Because, I mean, today we're divided ethnically and culturally and socially and nationally, politically. Uh, even, even in this last year over COVID, my goodness, you can't believe the reactions that we got from people by asking people to just wear a mask to help protect the health of others, and, and how divided we have become over that issue. There are some people who say it's not a pandemic, it's a dim panic, and it, it's not even real. Then there's people who've been sick and died uh, from this, and, and uh, my goodness, uh, the whole idea of getting even a vaccination today has become a, a big dividing issue, and what I'm saying is, is that the gospel of Christ has the power to bring us together in oneness like nothing else. So I want to I talk to you about the ways that the gospel, the good news, and if I could just say it this way, the, the gospel is it's not, this, this isn't a, a philosophy, it's not a set of ideas that we give mental assent to. The gospel, the good news, is a person, Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you about how the person of Jesus Christ begins to change me. There's four big ideas I want to leave you with today, and here's the first one, and that is that the gospel liberates me from myself for true humility. Now, this is a critical starting point because, you know, we we need to be liberated from our biggest enemy, and I don't know if you've learned this, but your biggest enemy is that person who looks back at you from the mirror every morning as uh, you're getting ready for your day. In fact, I was thinking about this truth and I was, happened to have on, uh, I was listening to a song by John Mayer at the time called My Stupid Mouth. And, and he says, my stupid mouth has gotten me into trouble again. Maybe I try too hard. And it's all because of this desire that I just want to be liked. I just want to be funny. But it looks like the joke's on me. Call me Captain Backfire. Well, have you noticed that you are your, your worst enemy in, in most cases? That you, your touchiness and your conceit and your impatience and, you know, the prejudices, your habits and your attitudes of thought, patterns of, of thinking and responding that are a result of wrong choices that you've made just like I have in, in our past. See, we, we, really, we really are our own worst enemy. We usually are defeated because of ourselves. And so Jesus starts, first of all, by liberating us from ourselves with something called true humility. In fact, this is, this is what he requires. Notice Luke 9, 23 to 24, this familiar uh, statement where Jesus gives the qualifications of being his disciple. He says, if any one of you 
wants to be my followers. You must, circle that word must, that's not an optional word. He doesn't say you might have to do this, but he says you must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross each day. Now here's another figure of speech Jesus is using. It doesn't mean we literally carry a physical cross, but what he means is you've got to be willing to, at those times, to say no to your own way in obedience to God's way. You must take up your own cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you'll destroy it. But if you give up your life for me, then you'll save it. See, this is the, uh, the amazing thing is Jesus says the more you try to control things your way, the more you keep trying to do things, you know, for me, myself, and I, the less of life you're going to really be able to live. But he says when you're able to put me and my concerns and die to yourself and live for me, he says you're going to find life. Here's the reality, if you'll write this down. I can say no to myself by saying yes to Jesus. Now, we have a whole message on this in this series coming up, so I don't want to uh, go into detail here, but, but basically Jesus says we can be, you can be freed from the tyranny of you by letting him be your master in your life. And the reality is when I give Christ his rightful place, then self is put in its proper place at last. The Apostle Paul expressed it this way in Galatians 2.20, and I love how the message paraphrase, this is one of my favorite renderings of Scripture uh, that we find in uh, the message paraphrase, where Paul says, Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I've been crucified with Christ. He picks up on that imagery, that metaphor Jesus uses, and and he says, I've so put myself into Christ that it's like I got crucified. And he says, uh, my ego, underline this, is no longer central. But Christ lives in me. And the life that you see me living is not mine, but it's lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, have you ever heard that that phrase that um, hurt people hurt people. Now, all I want to say to you, loved people love people. And what, what Paul is saying here is that because of Jesus Christ and his mastery in my life, knowing his great love for me, I've let him become master and king over me. Now, here's a question I want to ask you. I read somebody asked this question this week in something I was reading. Who is discipling you? Who are you a disciple of? Are you a disciple of political leaders or business gurus or, you know, financial moguls? Or it, does the cult of celebrity drive what really matters and, and, and what you do? Is it, is it, you know, cable news networks or social media? Who is it that's discipling you in your life? Jesus says, let me master your life. 1 Peter 1.4 says, live as, obedient, uh, live as God's obedient children and don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better way then 
And friends, I want to say to you, this becomes the daily decision of followers of Christ. Will I live for myself or for my Savior? In 1 Peter 5, 5, notice what it says. All of you, clothe yourselves. There's that imagery again. Put on clothes with, that are humility toward one another. Now, this is the starting point because, my friend, there's not a place of conflict or a troubled spot anywhere on our globe today that at ground zero, you don't find somebody with a wounded ego, a distorted ego, that's trying to exert itself over someone else. And what a difference humility always makes. And that's true politically and nationally. It's true in our personal relationships, in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids, in our friendships. Number two, the gospel calls me beyond self-concerns to genuine empathy. Now, here's the second big idea. first big idea I want to leave you thinking about today is this idea of humility. And the second is this idea of empathy, that the gospel calls me beyond self-concerns to genuine, genuine empathy. See, the important ability to relate to others, to identify with their feelings and to understand their perspectives and to understand their circumstances. That's what empathy is really all about. And by the way, it's, it's one of the marks of healthy people. It's one of the marks of emotional maturity that's really needed. Now, some people say, well, gosh, is there an app for that? And it's like, no, but it, there is a capacity that God has built within you that when Jesus Christ comes in and masters your life, he opens up your capacity to truly connect with other people in, in love and in caring. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, with, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You know, it, it's, it's interesting to me that, honestly, there are some people who, <laughs> they keep their head in a particular spot in their anatomy so much that they just don't even have time to give two hoots or a holler about anybody else. And I've found that if the devil can't spoil you, this is his verse says, if he can't spoil you through selfish ambition or self-serving behaviors, then he'll preoccupy you with self-contempt or self-pity or some other way that he'll just keep you absorbed with yourself. But Jesus Christ when he's allowed to come in and begin to master our life, if you'll write this down, I start caring about a ginormous world around me. Now, that's got to be the first time I've ever used the word ginormous in a sermon, okay? So you might need to look up there and see how to spell that. But you know what I mean by it. In fact, I agree with what a guy named John Holmes once said. Uh, he said, it's, it's well to remember that the entire universe with one trifling exception, is composed of others. And that's so true. And what Jesus Christ begins to do is open our heart and our mind and our life to see the needs of those around me. Here's a question to ask, and that is, am I, am I willing to be touched by the needs 
and the hurts and the feelings and the interests and concerns of other people around me. Romans 12, 15 and 16 gives some good instruction about that. Look at what it says. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Notice he says, be able to pick up on what's going on in the life of somebody else and truly be happy for people in the things they're happy about and learn to bear the burdens and the concerns and the sorrows of people who are hurting. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. That's a great picture there because you know when you sing harmony, you have to listen to the note that somebody else is singing in order to find a note that blends with them in a helpful way. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. Now, by the way, this is a helpful thing because sometimes the differences that we have with other people can actually be a positive way in which we get involved in dialogue with them. Uh, I heard a guy explaining one time that, you know, most people love to talk about themselves the most, and so when we're around people who have different perspectives than us, they're different culturally, maybe they're different ethnically from us, to ask questions in a sincere way and listen and learn and love. And it's amazing how that can begin to open the doors to relationships. Now, I have to, I have to just say to you that, uh, you know, our small group was talking about this a couple weeks back, that I think it's one of the disadvantages of, of us walking around with these screens all the time. Because somehow we feel that we're connected to every corner and niche of the world, and we know about everything that's going on 24-7, 365, and you know what, it's easy because we think we know what's going on in the world for us to kind of vicariously feel that we're really caring about everything that's going on. And the reality is you and I do not have the capacity to love the whole world like these screens would lead us to try to do. And, and honestly, what it happens is today uh, there's serious dis discussion about something called compassion fatigue that even though we're not personally involved with others, we just get to a point where we just say, man, I just, I just can't care that much. And so we, it's easier to just shut it out. The problem is when we shut out the concerns of others, it's easy to shut down parts of ourselves that God says help us be the persons that he's had in mind for us to be as we bear the image of God with him. And so we shut down our hearts and shut down parts of ourselves that are needed to relate to the real people living around us that we can help. And Jesus Christ says, let me begin to help you. Let me teach you how to love. Let me teach you how to be in harmony with one another. And I, I just kind of want to hit the pause button for a second on what I want to talk to you about. And I want you to listen to this great story between a couple of women whose hearts were open to one another, uh, Brenda Hill and Summer Goldsmith, that have become close friends over the last couple of months. Uh, w watch the screen here for just a moment. Listen to their story. I came to church, and I still was praying. I used in my spirit, God, really, I wanted to connect with the church of community. And when I came, my heart was burdened because... I know God 
want to use me. And I know that I was used to being in a church where I was a part of the community, part of the fellowship, and part of also working in the ministry. When Brenda first came <laughs> to North Point, um, I saw, well, I guess it wasn't your first time coming, but when I first saw her, she was in front of me off to the side and I was so distracted the whole service. Um, I just felt the Holy Spirit constantly nudging me to go talk to her. So I really have no idea what the service was about. Um, but I just kept staring at her and just knowing that I just needed to go talk to her. And so while I was sitting there just praying and hoping all of a sudden, I seen this beautiful young lady come up to me after church. And she said, I like your sweater. I said, well, thank you. And then she said, hi. She said, my name is Summer. And she said, God told me to come to you. There was just this nudging, mm -hmm. and I didn't want to ignore it. Right. I knew that I had to go talk to you. I didn't know what it was gonna look like. I didn't know how you would respond. Um, to be honest, you made it very easy. Um, your smile and your love and um, just the whole experience was so beautiful. And tears just started coming down my face. When that happened, it just hit, hit my spirit. I knew right there at confirmation that that was God using her. Um, I think during that encounter, we exchanged numbers right away, didn't we? Yes. Yeah, and, and I think I had told you that the core classes were coming up the following week. Yes, you did. And um, you were just so eager to get connected and to get plugged in and your heart just to serve. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. And I'm like, I know somebody I can connect <laughs> with. So I think we immediately yes. kind of just set up a, a meeting with um, Christy, yes. and she kind of filled you in on different ministries and stuff like that. Yeah, I think Christy knew your passion yes, for prayer, and that was kind of the focus of the gathering. Mm -hmm. So she wanted Brenda to be one of the people that gave up, went up there and, and prayed. What I see since I've been here is that North Point got a great ministry. And there are so many different aspects of, their, of the ministry here. For me, I'm here in obedience. And I'm here because too, I know with Christy, God put this prayer for women on her heart because there's a lot of people going through with the COVID, with their own personal lives, with their own identities and I see the passion that God want us to pray. That's the big thing that I see. God is calling women together. The Bible said where there's two and three gathered, that he is in the midst of us. So it's not about how little you pray, but it's about us getting together collectively as women and praying because we're powerful. And so uh, I see that. You know, I also see... God just using me in different ministries. I have learned so much about myself, my character, uh, my human character, my godly character. And so I just see God elevating me. I really see going up for me. I really do. I don't know what all God got in store for me, but 
through my obedience, I know he's gonna take me there. I'm hopeful that people are encouraged to step out of their comfort zone and to, um, to connect with people, mm -hmm. um, to say hello, to give a smile. Um, I just am amazed how God used a simple introduction um, and then turned it into this. And um, if he can do that, I, I just want to encourage people to, um, to be the hands and feet of Jesus and um, to look for those who may be hurting, to love on people, to um, just connect with people and to not ignore the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Ah, that's a cool story. Both of those gals have found a dear, dear friend forever in one another. And it's because they, they listened to their hearts and they kept their hearts open to one another. Jesus begins to do that. Here's a third thing, if you'll write this down, that, that the gospel, Jesus begins, he, he moves me to extend myself in loving solidarity. Now, that's the third idea I want you to really be thinking about. Humility, that's the first one, and empathy. And third is solidarity. And solidarity is when we're willing to actually stand with somebody else in love. And as I said, Jesus was absolutely the master of this. He knew how to, to reach out and connect with people who were isolated and rejected and marginalized and and, uh, and, and that nobody else ever noticed, Jesus noticed them, and he connected himself with them in love. And my goodness, we could make such an incredible list here. He touched lepers. Just in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 4, there's a shunned woman at a village that Jesus intentionally connects himself to and lifts her up. There's a blind man who experiences the cancel culture of uh, the Jewish temple and and because Jesus heals him on a Sabbath day, this guy gets kicked out of the temple and Jesus finds his way to this man and he affirms him and he loves him. But just a few weeks ago, and one, and one and honestly one of the finest messages that I've ever heard at North Point, we looked at John chapter 8 and a, a, a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and, and Jesus identified himself in love with her to save her and to lift her up. And probably, of course, the ultimate show of solidarity is what moved him to leave heaven itself and to come and become one of us and live on planet Earth so that he could go to a cross and when he was nailed to the cross, that Jesus would become the substitute absorbing the wrath of God against all of the sins of humanity. See, Jesus understood what solidarity is about, and he says, that's what I want to teach you to do, and, and I've used the word loving solidarity there. I want you to circle that, because honestly, today, there's, a, there's what I call the Gestapo version of solidarity, and that's what cancel culture is all about, that says that if you fail to stand in solidarity with somebody different than you, we're going to cancel you. We're going to make sure that you're seen as less than a human being, and I want to tell you that 
that that's not the gospel kind of solidarity that comes from the heart of love. The gospel kind is the ability and love to build bridges, not to build walls between ourselves and other people. In fact, once again, I'm going to look at the message paraphrase where Jesus explains what we call the golden rule. You're familiar with this. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. And look at, look at how the message puts this passage. Here's the simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. Isn't that interesting how the message just brings out the, the imagery that, that Scripture gives us? And then he goes on to say this. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity. I want you to underline that. It says you are made in the image of your Father in heaven, and you want to live out that God-given image. Live it out the way our Father lives toward us, graciously and generously, even when we're at our worst. Now, friends, we're not talking here about virtue signaling. We're talking about helping others understand what love looks like through you and how you're willing to connect and stand with others. And, and by the way, I just want to sound a warning here. You know, Summer, uh, when she was talking in the Video a moment ago, just sound a warning. You, you really never know how that other person's going to respond. You can't control their response. You can only control your actions to them. And it could be that what you're going to do may absolutely be a transformative moment for them. But you might find that all you do is you get anger back. That's okay. You've made a mistake on the side of love. You've made a mistake on the side of true humanity with somebody else when you've tried to reach out in true solidarity. In fact, one of the greatest examples that I, I could think of a couple of weeks ago in our small group, uh, a couple of friends who had uh, been a part of Saddleback Church in Southern California reminded me of this story. I remember hearing a guy named David Miller who, David Miller helped start up a group uh, called ACT UP in New York City. He's lived for over 20 years uh, as HIV positive. And, uh, and he heard that uh, Rick Warren was a, a guest speaker at an event in New York City. He was going to headline, uh, be the headline speaker for it. And he came out with a group of people to protest it because Rick Warren was a hater because he believed in the traditional view of marriage. And, and uh, in fact, he crashed the event that Rick was at because he wanted a chance to get in his face. And when he came into the room and he actually heard Rick speaking... And Rick, like he always does, took the opportunity to just share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it's Jesus that changes people's lives. It's his love that makes the difference in their lives. This guy, David Miller, came up to Rick afterwards. In fact, I encourage you to Google him and 
Actually, listen to this guy from the Bronx who is a fighter. And I mean, he's, he's had teeth knocked out and never had them fixed because he wants to make an impression on you. It's, it's amazing. But he came up to Rick and he said, you know, I expected to hear you sound very different than you've sounded tonight. And, uh, and he said, honestly, I was surprised to hear what you said about your church involved in an HIV AIDS initiative in the world. I never expected to hear it. And then Rick did something that totally blew him away. He said, you know, David, thank you for introducing yourself to me. And I just want to apologize to you right now for every hateful thing that any person has ever said to you in the name of Jesus because he loves you and you need him in your life. And David Miller says he actually backed up two steps because he said nobody had ever apologized to him for anything his entire life. That began a relationship that over the next two years, David began to read the New Testament about Christ and kept connecting with Rick and kept connecting with people from Saddleback when they were in New York. And finally, one evening, he flew out to Southern California and he sat with Rick and he said, I think I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And Rick said, it was an incredible thing. I wish that I had, had recorded the prayer that David prayed to invite Jesus to come into his broken, bitter, angry heart and transform. And now that guy's on staff with Saddleback's HIV AIDS initiative, helping people around the world who are, who are hurting from AIDS. You see, what happened there is that Rick had the chance to just show what Jesus' love looks like. Now, it's a good thing for us to ask ourselves when we're up against somebody that we totally disagree with, and where it's so easy to build a wall instead of a bridge to just ask ourselves, what common ground do I have with that person? What are their needs and their hurts and their feelings because they're the same as yours? And to say, how can I stand with them in love though I may totally disagree and my life experience may be very different? In fact, here's how I would define this thing of solidarity. Would you just write this down? I gave some thought to this. Here's how I'd put it. I bear God's image like you, so I won't stand for your indignity. That, to me, is a great definition of solidarity. Because you care for others who are other bearers of the image of God with you, and Scripture says we're to love our neighbor as ourself, then it means if this is a person experiencing neglect or abuse or discrimination or bullying or danger, that we won't be happy unless we can do something to stand with them and try to help lift them in their life. Now, friends, that's, that's the gospel kind of solidarity. In fact, I, I've been so tired of the, of the whole Gestapo kind of solidarity that we've been hearing that I've been reading some great authors and uh, I want to identify three great books for you. I'd encourage you to read one by John Perkins. John Perkins has been writing books for, for ages. There's a great book called With Justice for All. And I love how John, in his books, he makes a comment I, I love. He says, you know, man's most deeply felt need is to have his dignity affirmed. He wants to feel his somebodiness <laughs> and to know that he's a person of worth. We see that's what the gospel does. And John says, that's why we got to share the gospel because that's how God affirms the worth of every person and shows them their value 
in his eyes that they'd, he'd give Christ for them. Miles McPherson, a pastor in Southern California, and San Diego's another one, in his great book, The Third Option, he says it's not enough to just feel anger over uh, racial inequality. It's not enough to hold other people in suspicion over it. He says there's a third option, and that third option is to honor one another because we share the image of God. Listen to what he says. Look at this quote. When you honor uh, the value that God places on each of us, you treat persons with respect and reverence as you would handle material objects with special care, like the plates your mom set out at Thanksgiving or at Christmas, not like the paper plates at a barbecue that you toss like a Frisbee into a trash can. Because you realize you're relating to a person of absolute incredible worth in the eyes of God. David Anderson, another great author, has written a book called Gracism. Isn't a great phrase? Gracism, the art of inclusion. And here's what, he, here's what he has to say. Listen, Look at this quote. It's coming up on the screen. Racism is excluding others based on their color, class, or culture. But gracism is extending favor to others regardless of and sometimes because of their color or class or culture. When anyone has an honor deficit, it is our duty as gracists to reach out and serve that person. Be a gracist. You see, that's gospel solidarity, my friends. Number four, would you write this down? This is the fourth big idea. Humility, empathy, solidarity, and the fourth is community. It enables, the gospel enables me to invest myself in lasting community with others. The scripture we read at the top of the message and we've looked at and, and some of these other verses tells me that I can accept other people and I can stand with them in love because we belong to Jesus. And it's experiencing the joy of involving myself with Jesus' new community of people who because we've joined our spirits with the Spirit of God, we are one in Christ and in the bond of love. Ephesians 2, 14 to 17 and 19 says this, Christ himself is our way of peace. He has made peace between us Jews and you Gentiles. See, there's that, there's that simmering difficulty that was going on. Think, if you will, between Jews and Palestinians today and you're catching the, 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 the feel of, of what this verse is saying. He's made peace between us by making us all one family, breaking down the wall of contempt that used to separate us. He took the two groups that have been opposed to each other and he made them parts of himself. And thus he fused us together to become one new person. And at last there was peace for both of us have been reconciled to God. And so the feud ended at last at the cross. And he has brought this good news of peace to you and now you're no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you're members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Now, I gotta tell you, I can just tell you that with this guy right here, that when Jesus Christ captured my life and I just thought about the places in the world he's taken me, I've 
had a chance to connect with Canadians and Mexicans and Germans and Rwandans in Africa and Indians in India, Punjabi people right here in our own neighborhood with Israelis, with Kenyans. And in each of those places, I have found people who have become closer than my own natural sibling because of Jesus Christ. In fact, would you write this down? I'm proud that we're now family forever. In fact, friends, this is what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be full of people very different who've come from different backgrounds, but we're at home and we're one because of Christ. And by the way, in heaven, there's not going to be a little section for Americans over here and Africans over there and, you know, no Republican section and Democrat section and or denomination, you know, all the Methodists are going to stay in this spot and the Baptists are going to... No, no, no. We're going to be together and we're going to be with billions of people that I think we will spend our entire eternity just hearing one another's story of how God included us in his grace. You see, the gospel has the power to bridge us toward others. Will you let that happen in your own life? You know, as I, as I just pray for us this morning, uh, I want to take a, just a moment to uh, ask us to pray. Uh, a couple of months ago, I spoke, and there was a guy named Jeff Range that uh, we prayed for. In fact, there's a picture, I think. Have we got that picture that's coming up on the screen? We, uh, Jeff was in a very critical situation in the hospital. We prayed for him. This is a picture taken on Mother's Day when he with his family was able to be here worshiping uh, with us. But Jeff is back in the hospital and he's got, a, he's got a bad infection going because of the kind of cancer that he's dealing with. And I just wonder if we could just unite our hearts in prayer again for our brother Jeff and ask God to, to be with him. And then just keep him on your heart as you think of him this week. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for how you open our hearts to care about other people. Thank you that in a day that is marked with such division, we have the opportunity to be image bearers and people who carry the message of Jesus, the message that, bridge, that builds bridges, not walls, with others. We just want to pray right now for our brother Jeff and for his family. Lord, you know our heart's desire is to see him completely healed of this, this disease. And, and we just ask for the doctors that are working with him that you'd help them to be at the top of their game. For the nurses and the healthcare professionals that are caring for him, may they truly be used as your hands and feet right now to minister his need. But we pray for Jeff, asking you to be with him and strengthen him and raise him up, lift him up to be with us again. And we pray these things in your holy saving name, amen. Well, we just hope that um, you guys have had um, just a, a Sunday that really hits you, hits home. I know just praying for Jeff right now and the Range family, they're, they're a part of our church family. I was just talking to Jeff this last weekend, and so uh, our prayers go out to him for sure. If you have made a decision today to follow Jesus for the very first time, we are celebrating with you. In fact, you can get information right on your phone that can just help walk you through the process. Um, you can just text the word today to the number 58124 
or the word renewing to 58124 information and we'll just land directly on your device and walk you through that. Um, We're celebrating those big decisions wherever you're at today as well. And so um, just let us know right there in the chat if you've made any of those. We'd love to pray for you as well. We've got Pastor Ben um, ready to pray with, um, with you today. Now, we want um, to just encourage you guys to stay connected with us throughout the week. In fact, if you're watching um, on any platform, really, YouTube, Facebook, um, right there on our website, make sure you share, let other people know about this message. You know, this one's so important for us to hear. Every message is important, but one that really talks about the heart of unity and really at the heart of what Jesus really came to do, and that's... um, to bridge this world for us. And um, and we do that through our love. And so we hope that, um, that that's in making an impact on you today. Join us this next week, Midweek Live. We're going to be talking to our production director. All of this stuff doesn't happen without him. He's a pretty amazing guy. And so we get a chance to kind of tap into his knowledge and his information. He's just a great guy to get to know. So we'll talk to Andrew this next week. Guys, stay connected with us, and we will see you throughout the week. Have a good one. <laughs>